when we come to the place in our lives uh, when we need to be renewed, the only thing that I know that God instructs us to do is to pray. That we set our hearts before God and we ask God to do what only He can do in our lives. And it's God that brings the life. Uh, on our service on December 31st, in which we were preparing for 2018, we, we read a definition of spiritual renewal by Dr. Roy Fish, a professor at Southwestern Seminary. And Dr. Fish defined spiritual renewal or revival as an infusion of divine life into the church, which enables the church to love unconditionally, rejoice exceedingly, serve productively, live victoriously, praise appropriately, minister freely, and witness powerfully. Dr. Fish said that spiritual renewal was an infusion of divine life into the church. And that's what we ask for in prayer, is that God would infuse us with his life. To replace our lives. When his life is exhibited in our life, it, uh, it shows up as fire. There's a verse of scripture that I want us to focus on for a couple weeks, and it's in Hebrews 12 29. And it says, simply says, For our God is a consuming fire. For this Sunday, next Sunday, I know, I want us to think on that phrase, consuming fire. And actually this morning, I want us just to focus on that our God is a fire. That when he comes into our lives, he fills us up with his life, and it is a fire within us. John Wesley is, was the founder of Methodism. And John Wesley was raised in England in the early 1700s by a very devout Christian family. And um, when John Wesley was a young man, he went to Oxford University to study for the ministry. And not only did he study for the ministry, but uh, John Wesley was a part of a group called the quote-unquote Holy Club. They were the students who had set themselves apart to live an exemplary Christian life. And there were some other people who became quite renowned, part of the quote-unquote Holy Club. But let's just talk about John Wesley this morning. When John Wesley got through with Oxford, he was ordained as a, a priest in the Anglican Church. 
And as a young minister in the oh, mid-1730s, John Wesley even came from England to America to be a missionary, at least in theory, to take the gospel to the people in Georgia, that part of the United States, 1730s, before we're even a nation, just a colony. John Wesley would admit at the end of that short time that his ministry there, in theory to take the gospel to the people who had never heard, was quite unsuccessful by his own admission. In fact, he was supposed to stay longer, but he decided, because there was really no fruit, that he would return back to England. And on the trip back from England, on the ship that he was traveling on, there was a severe storm that hit. And most people on board, it was a severe enough storm that most people on board thought they would die. In fact, John Wesley thought he would die in the midst of that storm. And he describes in his own word that in the midst of that storm, as he was facing death, he cowered in fear at the prospect of dying that death. But John Wesley said in the midst of that storm, there was a group of people, Christians from Germany called the Moravian Brethren. And quite ununderstood by John Wesley in the midst of the storm, those people seemed to have a deep sense of peace. And even sang hymns in the midst of the storm. It would be an experience that John Wesley would never forget. In fact, it created something in his heart that he began to wonder, what is it that I, what is it that they have that I don't? What is missing in my life? And he said, he began this pursuit for some time after that to discover what is it that he's missing. He was doing all the right things. He had all the education. He was ordained as a, a priest in the Anglican church. He had gone to do missionary work. There was something that wasn't right. Until the night, May 24th, 1738. Isn't that quite amazing? I'll even give you a time here in just a minute. May 24th, 1738. John Wesley said that night... He went to a Bible study that was put on by hmm, the Moravian Brethren at Aldersgate Street in London. And that night as the Bible study leader was teaching, he, uh, he was reading that night from Martin Luther's commentary on the book of Romans. Martin Luther preceded this time oh, about 200 years. And Luther was describing his own pursuit for God and his commentary on Romans. In fact, Luther would admit that he had, as a Catholic priest, had been searching for God for some time through all the means but never finding any peace. Until in the midst of his study of Romans, and he came to Romans 1, 16 and 17, for I am not, Paul says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, for in it is revealed, um, 
the righteousness of Christ from faith to faith, just as it is written, the just shall live by faith. And in, in the commentary that the Moravian brethren read that night from Martin Luther, Martin Luther begins to describe how God in the midst of that opened his eyes and he saw the truth of the gospel for the first time, that righteousness was not something he attained, but was something that God gave and that he simply had to trust and accept that grace into his life. And Martin Luther, in his commentary, says, on that night, as God opened his eyes and he saw the truth of the gospel and he opened his heart to God, he said it was as if the gates of heaven itself had opened that night and glory had filled his soul. And John Wesley said, May 24th, 1738, he said as that man read of Luther's experience, he said, I too believed. And this is the phrase John Wesley said, my heart was strangely warmed. Byron, which is a British term. He said, my heart in that experience as I turned to faith in Christ was strangely warmed. He wrote sometime later about the experience and he said, this is his own words, John Wesley, he said, about a quarter before nine. So Wesley was saved May 24th, 1738 at 845 in the evening, London time. About a quarter before nine, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for salvation. And an assurance was given me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. I don't have time to trace it. The history. But God uses John Wesley in a phenomenal way. A part of the first great awakening. Some would even say his death in the 1790s was the start of the second great awakening sparked a revival even his death okay little Baptist people what I want to do is put this in perspective that the most evangelistic revived passionate people for over a hundred years were the Methodist and it all started in their founders life when at 845 May 24th 1738 his heart was strangely warmed in his salvation experience. I don't know about you. I remember the night I was saved. Some of you kids, it's hard to understand. Almost 46 years ago. I remembered that night as if a light came on inside me. And I remember the sense of not only a weight being lifted, but life flooding into my heart. But I remember it's almost like a light bulb. Somebody, like a pull chain light went ching, ching, boom. For the first time in my life, I felt alive. I got to thinking, thinking, sorry. Somebody didn't even know. Uh, I got to, to thinking about 
the story that's only recorded in Luke's gospel, Luke 24, on the day that Jesus was raised from the dead, that first Easter Sunday. Luke records the story, only Luke, of two people. Um, Roxana, that were on their way to a village called Emmaus. <laughs> they were leaving Jerusalem. They were going to a little village called Emmaus. It was a seven-mile walk. And only Luke records this, that as the two people were walking that day, and they were talking about all that had happened in the last several days with Jesus, his death and such, that a, a man came and joined them on their journey. It was Jesus but it says their eyes were withheld from seeing him or recognizing him. And the man, the stranger that joined them on that journey as they're walking said, so what were the things that you were talking about on the way and why are you so sad? <laughs> and Cleopas, one of the two people that were walking, said, are you like the only person in Jerusalem that hasn't heard what has happened about Jesus? He said, what? Jesus of Nazareth, who was a, a great teacher, and God's hand was upon him, and he performed miracles, and, and how the religious leaders were opposed to him, and they had him arrested in the government, and they crucified him. And he said, but, but this morning, we were, we were quite shocked when there were women from our group that came to us who had been to the tomb, and they went to the tomb, and they said when they got there, the, not only was the tomb empty, but there were, there were angels there who said, that he is not dead anymore. He is alive. And they came. And he said, some of our, they said, some of our group went and they saw and it was, but we don't know what to make of these things. We had hoped that he was the one who was to redeem Israel. And the stranger says, oh, why are you so slow of heart to see and believe the things of God? Don't you know that this is what has been taught us from the scriptures? That the that the Messiah, the Christ, would have to suffer these things in order to enter into his glory. And it says that the stranger took Moses, the first five books, and the prophets. And as they walked on that road to Emmaus, he talked to them about how all of those things pointed to Jesus. And as the day was wearing away and they were getting close to their des des destination, they, it, it appeared that the stranger was going on further, but they said, we are stopping here in Emmaus for the night, and would you stay with us? And so they compelled him to stay, and they sat down that night in the, wherever they were staying. And it, the scripture says that in the breaking of the bread, their eyes were opened, and they realized that it was Jesus, and boop, he was gone. And in Luke 24, 32... After he vanishes, it says this, And they said to one another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures? Did not our hearts, our heart burn within us as we walked with Jesus and he taught us the scriptures? Those two become a part of a community <laughs> that, uh, hmm, 50 days after this, give or take a few days, 
on the day of Pentecost in that community that believed in the resur- that Jesus had literally been raised from the dead God infuses that community Acts 2 with the Holy Spirit 120 people and they changed the world 2,000 years later we sit in Huntington, Texas to worship the same king that they came to experience that day on that first Easter Sunday morning And at least two of those said there was an experience we had and our hearts burned within us. I thought about the Old Testament prophet of Jeremiah who is nicknamed the weeping prophet because he had an unpopular message. Hmm. A message of God's judgment in the midst of his people's sin. If you read the book of Jeremiah, even if you were to read chapter 20, you would see that Jeremiah, for being the spokesman of God, he was mocked, he was beaten, and he was imprisoned. (laughs) And in the midst of those circumstances, in a very real statement, he says in Jeremiah 29, he said, Then I said, I will not make mention of him nor speak any more in his name. The prophet said, I'm done. Because all I'm getting is grief out of this. But then he writes, But his word was in my heart like a burning fire. Shut up in my bones. I was weary of holding it back and I could not. So many times in our lives we live as a reflection of our circumstances, of our own strength, and that's the way we live out life. And I think that's where Jeremiah came to in his life that he said, listen, I'm done here. I can't do this anymore. But there was something that gripped him, burned inside of him, that compelled him to live beyond himself. It was something beyond himself that had taken possession of him inside. Despite his circumstances around him and his own strength, there was something that compelled him inside of him to continue to be the spokesman of God. When God comes and inhabits a life, his life is like a fire inside. Hebrews 12, 29, for our God is a consuming fire. You know, actually, that, that quote from Hebrews 12, 29, our God is a consuming fire, it, it comes from the Old Testament and actually from the life of Moses. Actually, in Deuteronomy 4, 24, and if you just put this into context, Deuteronomy is the second giving of the law. It is at the end of the... 40 years of of Moses' ministry when they are perched on the edge of the promised land and God has already said to Moses, you're not going in. And Moses sits down with those people across the Jordan River and he said, y'all got to remember this is the way it is and this is what God has done in our life and don't forget, don't forget, don't forget. I mean, this is like dad's about to die and listen, everything I, don't forget what I've taught you. That's what Deuteronomy is. But in the midst of that, in Deuteronomy 4.24, Deuteronomy 4.24, as Moses is recounting the great deeds of God and Moses is capturing his experience with God. And I don't know if you're reading your Bible through this year. Your pastor is. I mean, we've passed through some scriptures in which 
Moses has met with God as close to face to face as anybody can, even though God put him in the cleft of the rock and whoop, passed by. And anyhow, hey, read it. I mean, Moses has been as tight with God as anybody. And he says in Deuteronomy 4.24, For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. I really believe the writer of Hebrews is quoting Moses. Because Moses says, For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. It's kind of interesting for me to think of Moses and his experience with God because actually his experience with God begins at a fire. Moses, 80 years of age, having fled Egypt, tending his father-in-law's. Man, I'm just thinking if you're 80 and you're still tending your father-in-law's flocks, you got, you got career issues. But anyhow, we don't have time about that. You know, you got to get a flock of your own at 80 <laughs> or start drawing Social Security or something. It was just the beginning for Moses. And so you know the story in Exodus 3, 2. Moses is tending his father-in-law's flocks. And it says in Exodus 3, 2, it says, And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame, a fire, from the midst of a bush. So he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Hmm. <laughs> The first, and Moses hears a voice from the bush. I think that's partly the reason he says later, for our God is a consuming fire. The first time he really encountered God face to face, God appeared to him as a flame of fire in a bush that was not consumed. After Moses is used of God to deliver his children from bondage in Egypt, after 400 years, uh, when they are leaving the promised land, and I'm sure Moses is needing directions of what do I do, it says in Exodus 13, 21, it says, And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them, lead the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, so as to go by day and night. Brother Shane, cloud by day, fire by night, lead us to freedom again. So Moses encounters God in a burning bush. When God is leading them, at least at night, and I don't know, maybe the fire was burning in the cloud during the day, but that pillar of fire and cloud leads them to where they should go. When they come to meet with God, you've been reading this week in Exodus 19 18 they come to Mount Sinai which was where God said I will meet with you there it was where God had been at the burning bush for Moses it says in Exodus 19 18 now Mount Sinai was completely in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire its smoke ascended up like the smoke of a furnace and the whole mountain quaked greatly when the children of Israel and Moses got to the mountain and Moses met with the mountain, whoo, there was like a fire. There was a glow on the top of that mountain and a cloud <clears throat> that overcame that cloud. I don't know. We could read more, but in Exodus 24, 17, as they meet with God, Moses writes this, Exodus 24, 17, the sight 
of the glory of the Lord was like a consuming fire on the top of the mountain in the eyes of the children of Israel. Our God is a consuming fire. And when he comes to live inside of us in his fullness and in his glory, it will be like a fire burning inside of us. It is the presence of holy God like a fire inside of me. Hmm. What do, I want to ask a question. What do our lives look like when that fire is not there? I know that's what God wants. But what do our lives look like without that fire burning inside? Hmm. Well, I think our lives look like we're just going through the motions. Just going through the motions. Doing the right things, but lacking passion. I think our lives look run down. Lacking energy passion, running on fumes, lacking power. Think about what God exhibited in Moses' life and in Jeremiah's life and in the life of people like the two on the road to Emmaus, that community that God infused with the Holy Spirit that went and changed the world. Or what about the life of John Wesley? How God demonstrated his power. So I would have to say when that power is lacking, when that fire is lacking, that our lives are lacking a divine power. Or as Dr. Fish said, a divine infusion, an infusion of divine life. I think without the fire that we simply are feeding off of our circumstances, that our lives just become a reflection of what's going on in our lives. And we may be happy, we may be sad, we just kind of whatever's going on around us, that's what we're reflecting. And I think we are drawing from our own strength we're living life out of my resources. And I think that's why we appear to lack power and to be run down and to simply be going through the motions. But when the fire is on the inside, it makes all the difference in our lives. And it makes all the difference to those around us.
the older I get, the more I realize there are people who watch me and need me and that I have a place of influence and ministry even as we've studied in our life group. Some are in my family. Some are people in my church. Somebody, it's, sometimes it's somebody I just run into. Maybe on my day off when the preacher isn't supposed to be on his A game, right? It don't matter. Because there are people that I need to influence and impact. And the fire on the inside is going to make all the difference. So you see the fire, the passion on the inside that God wants to put there not only makes all the difference in my life, but it makes a difference in the people's lives around me and the people that I encounter. And so that's why I have asked that we would pray in these days, which is all I know to do. That we would pray that God would light a fire in our hearts. And I have to believe as we set our hearts before him in prayer and we draw near to him that he will draw near to us. And God will do a work in our hearts that only could come from heaven. And so, if you ask me this morning, preacher, what is it that you want from us? I want you to search and seek after God and to set your heart before him and ask him to do a work in your heart that only he could do. Um, I'm going to ask you to stand this morning. Brother Shane, the music team's going to come. But as we stand, I'm going to ask somebody, I'm going to ask Brother Mitchell Walker to come. Hey, and Brother Steve, can I, this may be his melodies. Brother Mitchell, if you would come and um, just as we enter into our time. And, you know, this morning we invite you to come to the altar. All I can say is to seek after God, to pursue Him, to ask Him to do a new work in your life. And I don't know if uh, Brother Mitchell and I have known each other for a number of years, but in the last year God's lit up Mitchell's heart. And um, someday, someday maybe we'll have him tell his whole story, but I don't even know that he knows his whole story. Uh, Mitchell asked to say something this morning. I said, sure, you come. So, brother, just share with us what's on your heart, and then we'll enter into our time of invitation. Okay. Um, one thing I did want to say, Joseph, wherever you're at, you got a journey, exciting journey. May God be with you. And Jesus will take you on an exciting journey. And if you look around, you don't know this. Uh, maybe you do. Maybe God has already shared it with you. If you look around, 
when I got saved, I got sidetracked, but the Lord led me to this church. And now I've got a family. Talk to God, your Father, your Heavenly Father. Talk to Jesus, and we are here for you. This is your new family. And one thing I wanted to say, I've been coming in here. You can, you know, I made a commitment to pray, and I come in here. When there's somebody here, of course, uh, and I come to the God's house, my Father's house, and I pray Monday through Friday. I take time for God. He's first. And then Tuesday I was in here, and I'm letting you know because God led me to say this. I've been walking around like this. Disabled. I said, Father, heal me. Tingling down my body. And now I am healed. Watch this. But I still have to do my part. Because for four years, I ain't used these legs, and they need some exercise. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I just wanted to let you know something else my father has taught me and told me to tell y'all. He is waiting for y'all to talk to him. Talk to Jesus. You want a revival, it starts with us. And when Brother Darrell has an altar call, it's not just to be saved. Jesus and the Father is waiting for you to come and talk to him today. So I'm in no hurry. People up there, come down. People, if you need to, if you felt led by the Holy Spirit to grab somebody and say, come on, let's go pray. And they did that with Joseph want to understand there's people here that we can pray for so let's start a revival today thank you